My guest today is convinced that no one shows up to work to suck. That people want to be great at their jobs, and that it's the responsibility of leadership to create an environment that allows them to do so. Welcome to episode 84 of This Shit Works. I'm your host, Julie Brown, and today I'm talking with keynote speaker, author, and musician Rick Lozano to discuss how to tap into the unlocked potential of your teams. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, PR, and communications agency with team members in Boston, Los Angeles, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at nickersoncos.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Henry Ford once said, there is no man living who isn't capable of doing more than he thinks he can do. During this time of self-examination, the Great Resignation, and COVID burnout, can companies further develop their talent as well as unlock the hidden potential being left on the tables of their organizations? My guest Rick thinks yes. In addition to being the author of Acoustic Leadership, Develop a Leadership Culture that Resonates, Rick is a global leadership developer. His program, Unlock and Amplify, combines his expertise as a world-class speaker with his talents as a singer, songwriter, and musician. And today, because we both attended an NSA mic drop networking event and happened to be placed in the same Zoom room and instantly hit it off, he is here with us today to tell us how we can all begin to unlock not only our hidden potential, but better leaders as well. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm so glad that we got stuck in that same room together in the mic swap. That stuck. was lucky. That's not a good word. We're stuck together. We were properly placed. How about that? Yes. <laughs> and this is a little tangent. This is why people will say, oh, I don't know if virtual networking works. Virtual networking works if you know how to follow up. So you Absolutely. and I met. We thought we were great. We both followed up with each other afterwards. And here we are. We're making a podcast baby so a podcast baby i love that that is too good (laughs) okay i'm gonna get right into it uh you are a keynote speaker as am i but i know you take your guitar on the stage with you yes i do that is part of your keynote it is part of your speech it's part of your message it's also why you wrote the book acoustic leadership can you give us a little bit of background on how you started bringing your, like, was it something you always did? You always had your guitar with you during your speeches? Or was there one moment where you're like, well, this would be better if I just played a little ditty? That's a great question. And the funny thing about this is it wasn't my idea. It wasn't something that I came up with. So I've been working in leadership and talent development for over 20 years. And about eight years ago, I was working at a technology company at the time. And I had this leader who showed up and said, basically, hey, Rick, You're great at three things. I said, really? That's it? He said, yes, three things. You are a great speaker. You're a great facilitator. You're a great musician. Do those three things at the same time. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? And he says, I don't know, but I'm telling you that's your thing. And so it got me thinking about, okay, what could I do bringing my guitar to work? And at the time I was doing team development and we we would do some workshops where I would bring in my, my guitar and write a song and stuff like that. And then I just started bringing my, my music to everything that I did. And I started speaking externally 
And at the time, the very first thing that I did, this, I love this title. I was doing a, a session on creative training techniques and I called it Sweet Caroline, a super set list for sensational learning sessions. Quite the alliteration there, right? <laughs> yes. And basically I said, hey, what can we learn from musicians and apply to training? And mm -hmm. that's where it started. And then from there, once I started bringing my guitar to work, it just made sense and everything clicked and it just, one thing begat another, turned into another thing. And, and here we are, Julie. <laughs> Guitar, guitars in hand. All these years later. Yeah. So how does that translate into, so, okay, question. If Henry Ford is true and none of us are tapping into our full potential, how do you combine music to help others uh, see what they are leaving on the table, see what their untapped potential is? So that's a great question. And sometimes what I do is I use music as a metaphor. I use music as a lens through which to look at things. So yes, I do bring music on in my keynotes, for example. I use musical elements in my book. But a lot of what I'm doing is saying, hey, what can we learn from here and apply over here? So let's take, for example, the name of the book. The name of the book is Acoustic Leadership, mm -hmm. Develop a Leadership Culture That Resonates. And when I very first wrote the book, I was trying to figure out how can we help develop better leaders? What do leaders need to do? And I happened to look in the musical world and I found, uh, you probably remember this, MTV Unplugged. You remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah Are you kidding? So, Rick, yeah. my name is Downtown Julie Brown. <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to call you that. No, <laughs> no, it's the word. I know, but like, I am that ilk. I grew up on MTV. I grew yep. up, okay, quick sidebar. I, I was not supposed to be allowed to watch MTV when I was a little kid. So uh -huh. my mom would unplug the TV when she left for work and I would plug it back in and then unplug it before she came home. I was like, <laughs> you can't keep me away from MTV. So, you know, it was those things. And, and I ran into the MTV Unplugged and I said, okay, this is really cool. Why was this so successful? What worked about it? And what I realized was there was three principal foundations, simplicity, authenticity, and opportunity. Simplicity was minimalistic. It was unplugged. It was acoustic. Mm -hmm. uh, authenticity, it was like the real deal. They couldn't hide behind massive light shows and they were in a cozy sort of environment. And then it was an opportunity for them to do something different you know, play the songs a little bit differently, but it was also an opportunity for the audience to hear different things. Mm -hmm. And so I kept thinking about those three things and suddenly that just made the most sense in the world to me. Let's help leaders by focusing on simplicity, authenticity, and opportunity. And then from there, I continued to draw on musical connections, you know, for helping build cohesive teams and working as a unit and all of these other things. But it was really that idea of borrowing that angle or that lens and applying it to another thing. And the response has been fantastic. And, and what's fun for me is when I'm thinking like a musician, I'm having the most fun in my work. Mm. And that's when I do my best work. And so often people are like, oh, well, it's not like you can always bring your passions to work because what if your passion is something different? And I completely agree with this. By the way, that very first session that I did, I had a guy in the audience because I did talk a little bit about bringing your passions to work. He says, well, what if my passion is stripping? I can't bring that to work. And I was like, okay, A, you're a jerk. Yeah. B, okay, you're right. You know, that, that you couldn't do that. But let's reframe this, right? What can you learn from a dancer? What do dancers do? They focus on precision and technique and balance. And it's a matter of looking through that lens and you can apply that in any possible way. 
Mm -hmm. right? Think about team building, right? How do we balance things? What sort of precision are we executing in our plans and so on? And once we begin to look at work in a different lens, I think sometimes that's where we unlock and amplify the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out if I know that I have a passion for certain oh. things. So I, I actually am multi-passionate. I am yeah. passionate about running. I'm passionate about skiing. I'm passionate about rescuing animals. I'm passionate about wine. Yeah. How is bringing those passions into work making me better at what I do? So let's take this and, and, and look, there's a lot of different ways we can spin that. And sometimes there's not a one-to-one -one direct map over thing, but let's take your example of skiing. By the way, where's your favorite ski place? Well, I have a house in Vermont, so I only, well, I ski Vermont every weekend, Sugarbush. So okay. I should say that is my favorite. I have traveled around for skiing and I love other resorts, but yeah. my home is in Sugarbush. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we're going to Lake Tahoe next month. So I'll be skiing. Well, good for you. You yeah. suck. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, I know. So let's think about this, right? What can we borrow from skiing? What is skiing? It's an adventure. It's an opportunity to be one with nature. It's an opportunity to connect with yourself, to get better, to see that development. Let's take those same concepts and think about work. Okay, how can we help people feel a sense of connection at work? How can we help people feel a sense of adventure at work? How can we show them the progress that they're making kind of like you and I do as skiers? We suck when we first hit the moguls, but then after a while we get our turns down and we're going, okay, I can do this. Yeah, and so again, it's just a matter of framing things in a different light and using those passions, not just as a lens, by the way, but also as a filter. So for example, for me, music works as a filter because when I'm thinking like a musician, that's when I do my best work. So I look at the world, not just as a lens, but I filter out the things don't, that don't bring me that energy, right? And mm -hmm. I'm borrowing from that performer's mindset, if you will, and that helps me in my job, right? So I think there's some ways that we can creatively use those things at work. Sometimes it doesn't always work, but you know, at your point, hey, you're, you're a networking guru. Mm -hmm. There's no better way to network than over a glass of wine. You're also passionate about wine. You can yeah. use that as a connection point. Oh, I have used wine. I mean, <laughs> a, and like true, the skiing for me is I love skiing. I love the physical activity of it, but I actually love the, the culture of skiing more, yeah. you know, the vibe of skiing more than maybe the actual physical activity of skiing. So maybe what we're supposed to do is figure out the vibe around what we love and can we bring that same vibe to the office? Sure. I think that's a great idea. How are you getting leaders to buy into this? That everybody is going to be able to bring all of these different parts of themselves to the office and still get work done? And th that's a fantastic question. And I don't stick to the music too long because, you know, I can't tell people bring your guitar to work because they'll say things like I don't play guitar. So that right. obviously doesn't suit me. Right. I get it. But it's a matter, at least the way that I presented it. OK, let's go back to the simplicity thing. Mm -hmm. If I am as a musician coming back to the basics, maybe just strumming a few chords that we can apply at work, too. How can we do the simplest things that get us the most biggest return on investment? How can we streamline our processes so that we've got one clear signal, one clear sound, one clear melody that everybody knows and understands and can sing along with? Mm -hmm. And you and I know that at work, that's not often the case, right? We have people right. with competing priorities where we can think about that as a musical thing. Hey, we've got one melody here. 
let's all sing it or else we're going to suck. This is going to be an awful tune if we're not all singing the same melody. Yeah. So yeah. little connecting points like that is what I like to stress. But I always bring it back to work. Here's what it looks like at work. And one of the things that I included in the book, the, the chapter on simplicity is, okay, well, let's think about this. We've introduced the musical angle, but now let's get to work. What is getting in the way? Yeah. Much like in music, too much noise is just that too much noise. We've got a lot of noise at work. What sorts of things are competing with our priorities? What sorts of things are getting in the way? I, I, I started my entire premise of the book with one question, and it was this, what gets in the way of people doing their best work? Mm -hmm. Not just as leaders, uh, but well, what gets in the way of a leader being a great leader, but in terms of everybody being you know, able to do their best work. And that was a lot. Yeah, I was going to say there wasn't one thing, right? No, there was a ton of things, ton yeah. of things that people said. And I sent out surveys and here was, interestingly enough, you know, the number one thing that came up at the time, bureaucracy, mm. bureaucracy. People kept saying, yeah, man, this place is, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of politics. Yeah. And when you do have those things in place, yes, it does get in the way of people doing their best work. And I came up with this acronym. So by the way, I refer to all these things in the book as, the muck, those okay. things that slow us things down. Things that get in the way, things yeah, that bog you down. And it's great because then I can ask a question and the question is, what the muck? And then we answer the what the muck question and I came up with an acronym and it's BDIP, B-D-I-P. And of course you can't say that without going BDIP, BDIP. <laughs> a little MJ in there. A little bit. Bureaucracy, dinosaurs, infrastructure, mm. and yes, people. Yep. And very quickly, bureaucracy is just that politics, red tapes, ex excessive levels of approval or micromanagement. Uh-huh. Dinosaurs are that those stupid things we do that we've always done and yet no one really knows why. Why do we continue to do these things that don't work? And we'll talk about that I have a feeling in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um and infrastructure. What mechanisms are enabling behavior? or motivating yeah. behavior. And so, for example, one of the things that we've seen in the infrastructure over the past two years with COVID is this need or th this pressure that sometimes leaders exert on their people to be instantly available. Yeah. Like you got to respond now, you got to respond now. And the downroad byproduct of that is when people are always available, they're not able to focus and do their work. Yep. So leaders are creating this infrastructure where they're motivating availability at the expense of focus. And we can't have that. And then that last part of the BDIP is people. So people themselves behaving in certain ways, sometimes based on that infrastructure of those motivators. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's just fun to say BDIP. <laughs> I, I heard in one of your speeches, you talk about the, the need that we all have to rewrite our rituals. Is this part of it? Is this that simplicity yes. thing? I used to have a boss when I first started in the industry. And I think this is actually taken from the, an old military saying, she'd always say kiss. And it was keep it simple, stupid. Yep. And yep. like, not me stupid, but like, that was like, she would always say, keep it, sim keep it simple, stupid. And I yep. always reminded me, what is the easiest way to do this task? Yep. And that, that, thank you for queuing that up. That is a big focus of mine. So rewriting the rituals. So when we ask the question, what the muck? Okay, now what do we do about it once we've identified it? Mm -hmm. And the idea behind rewriting the rituals is examining, why did we start doing this in the first place? And if you think about rituals as a thing, what, why do people do them? Mm -hmm. Well, because they believe it's going to enable a certain thing, right? 
So we do this in order to get this. Here's a, here's a musical example for you. I recently learned of this crazy little ritual and supposedly uh, Kelly Clarkson, Selena Gomez, I can't verify that they do this, but I learned this recently. It's a ritual of drinking olive oil before you sing. Mm. You ever heard that? No. It yeah, sounds like when everybody was doing butter coffee. Do you remember that? Yes. I had friends who were convinced and drinking butter coffee in the morning was helping yeah. their GI systems. But hey, it's better than Tide Pod, so we'll give it that. <laughs> it's, better than, it's better than Tide Pod. It's better than the cinnamon thing that everybody was doing on, on TikTok or whatever. Yeah. And, and the idea, of course, is, again, the, the ritual, we do it so that it enables an output mm -hmm. with the olive oil idea, they're saying it enables a better fluidity in your voice. It loosens up your, your vocal cords. I don't know if it's true or not, mm -hmm. but that's what supposedly it does. Sure. So when we're rewriting the rituals, we're saying, hey, what exists in the workplace? And A, is it working and worth the time? And then B, if it's not, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. And I've got this other acronym that I came up with, and it's NEAD, N-E-A-D. What can we negotiate, eliminate, automate, and delegate? Yeah. So what can we do with that ritual to rewrite it so that it is actually enabling the outputs that we desire? Let me give you an example. Uh, one of my clients is a technology company, and they deal with the performance review process. And mm -hmm. we could talk about that a lot. Trust me, I've got a lot to say about that here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they knew that the performance review process has a really bad name associated with it. Uh -huh. So they wanted to rewrite that ritual in order to make it more effective. So what they did, they, they stripped it of all of the corporate BS stuff, and they made it just a few simple questions. One of which is, what makes work hard? Hmm. That's it. So their performance review process includes a very small number of things. And one of those is a question that says, what makes work hard? So people answer that question and then they sit in their performance review process and say, let's fix that. Yeah. If this is getting in the way of your, your best work, then let's rewrite the rituals to get rid of yep. or negotiate, eliminate, automate, delegate that thing. Let's fix it. Yeah. And to me, that's brilliant because it's such a simple idea. Such a simple it, question. I just yeah. interviewed, it hasn't been released yet, but I interviewed a, a behavioral therapist who wrote a book about asking the right questions. Yeah. To, to get what you need to discover, to make the changes you need to implement, to figure out how to serve your clients better, your employees better. It all starts with asking the right question. And that's a perfect question. I had never even thought about it. What makes your work hard? Yeah. And so let's talk about performance reviews a little bit more, because mm. this is something, <laughs> this is something I did talk about in the book. And it's that idea of this thing that we do, but we don't really know why. And oftentimes the data doesn't justify it. Mm -hmm. So check this out. The typical performance review process, there was a, a study that was done and 93% of the respondents, several thousand people said that they have a formal review process, mm -hmm. which, you know, cool. We, we all been there, done that. Right. But check this out in that same study, 49%. So essentially half of the people responding to that believed that performance reviews, their process doesn't accurately appraise, guess what? Performance. Half of the people who responded to this survey said they don't work. Yeah. And here's the kicker. That survey came from SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. HR, the function that usually facilitates the performance right. review process is saying, yeah, this isn't exactly doing what we need it to do. 
So in my brain, that's a prime example of we need to rewrite this ritual to actually enable the output that it was designed for, enabling performance. You know, it's also uh, fun about that. Even people who get positive performance reviews are often unhappy with them. Mm -hmm. And I found that research and I was like, really, that's interesting. Why would that be the case? And when I did some more digging, what I realized was, or what I learned, oftentimes people who get good performance reviews they don't like it because it's also associated with pay. Mm-hmm. So they don't get that bump in a pay raise that they thought they deserved. Their thing was excellent. Their performance review rating was a five mm-hmm. and they only got a you know small little dismal raise. And they're like, this sucks. I hate this thing. Mm-hmm. So even people who get good ones don't like it. So it's definitely a ritual we need to examine. Yeah. Can you uncover that when you are working with clients? What is the root cause of the yeah. problem? Like more like what makes your job hard? Are there yeah. other questions within corporations that can get to the root problem of maybe why people aren't as productive or why revenue is down or why people are leaving the company? Yes. And questions are the most important tool you have, mm. but the quality of the question determines the output of the answer the quality of the answer. So we've got to ask smart questions. Like for example, that example that I gave you of what makes work hard. That's a nice open-ended question that people can actually listen to and do something about. But yeah, we talk about in several of the things that we do, what are people being motivated to do? Where are we spending our time? What are we giving our energy? What things are draining our energy? Mm -hmm. What processes are not worth the return on investment? And using all of that data, we say, okay, what can we accomplish here? I know we can't fix everything. I do work in the same reality as everybody else. Yeah. But there are a lot of things, again, with those little simple tweaks, we have more control than we realize. Mm -hmm. Let's take, for example, bureaucracy. Let's cut one layer of approval out. It'll Mm -hmm. make all the difference in the world. I give an example uh, in my book. I was uh, part of an organization where the CEO got in front of the entire company and said, We've done these, you know, engagement surveys and we've heard you loud and clear. It's getting more difficult to do our jobs the bigger we grow. And by the way, there's an exact correlation. Company size usually increases that amount of bureaucracy. So it's a danger that every growing company faces. So this CEO got in front of the entire organization and said, we're going to go on a good old fashioned policy purge. And he came out in front of the entire business and said, I encourage every team look at your policies, every layer of approval, every sort of signature required or any of those sorts of things and get rid of them by half. Mm -hmm. So the CEO is telling their people to cut their policies in half. And what was amazing was people were very quick to say this, 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 this are the things that can go. And the leaders and the managers were like, okay, well, we're scared because what are people going to do? Mm-hmm. But what they realized was when they gave people that authority, that decision-making power to make a difference, suddenly not only were people doing better work in terms of productivity, but they were also more engaged because they were given a sense of ownership and able to participate in making that process simpler. What has happened to the ability for people to tap into untapped potential talents with working from home, what has that done to good and bad to people's ability to make change and and discover, bring their passions to work when none of us are going to work right now? 
<laughs> the funny thing about that, I was just looking at this survey or this study that was, gosh, I don't remember where it was, but it was in an email newsletter that I get that referenced some study that was done, I think, by the Harvard Business Review. And what they found was that in the remote working space, we've actually seen in many, many cases, productivity increases. I read that same article, Harvard yeah, every Business Review, yep. People are getting more work done. And, and of course, they have this stereotype of, oh, well, working from home, everyone's doing whatever they want and not really working. But the truth is they're actually working in more focused ways. Right. They're doing those same tasks, but in a different way without the constant interruptions, if we're doing it right. Mm -hmm. I got to add that caveat there. But yeah, they're also being able to do that while at the same time taking a break. They're also saving a couple of hours because they're not sitting in traffic every yeah. day or worrying about their makeup and all that kinds of stuff. Oh, There's no. If you're on Zoom all day, you're still worried about your makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny about that? I, when I very first started, and, and maybe you saw this as well, I remember when we very first started on Zoom, people were still wearing their same work clothes. And about a month into it, it's like, nope. We're wearing t-shirts. There's yeah. my kid in the back. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I think that has been great as an ability to, I, I mean, it, it's just we're the way we work is going to change. The way we look while we're working is going to change. All of that is been completely disrupted. You know, the other benefit of the remote working space, and you and I are a testament to this. You and I live in different parts of the country and mm -hmm. we would have never met Right. Had it been for this virtual world, I've got a large community. You and I are both in the National Speakers Association, and I've got a large community of friends and colleagues in that organization that I only met online. Yeah. And it's just amazing the amount of connections and possibilities. By the way, the uh, majority of my work over the last two years, as yep. with most people, has all been virtual. But what's yeah. even better about that is many of my companies that I work with, the United Kingdom, they work in Singapore, the Philippines, yep. and suddenly I have access to this global community, whereas yeah. previously I was you know, just doing my thing here in San Antonio. Yep. So there are some very good benefits. Yeah. To your point, though, there's also some things that we lost. Yeah. Corporate culture was something that needed to be addressed. That yeah. feeling of connection sometimes needed to be addressed. As with all things, there were trade-offs, but I think there was definitely a lot of positive things as well. Yeah. Do you help companies with uh, remote work from home, corporate culture, how they can feel like they're still part of a community and part of a team? Yeah, that's a lot of the work that I do, especially when I very first, when we hit COVID, yeah. people were freaking out. They were like, how do we do all this? Yeah. So we would come to the table and we would do workshops where we talked to the leadership populations and we just implemented simple things. If we want to build more connections, let's put these things in place. If we want to give people a sense of autonomy and ownership, let's do these sorts of things. And it was all just a matter, you know, to the previous conversation of looking at the work we're doing, mm -hmm. what things are muck, what things are great, and let's rewrite that sort of ritual to make sure that they're working better. So I, I know you have a hard stop in a little bit, and I want to be respectful of your time, but, but. I introduced you as a musician who carries yes. his guitar everywhere, and I haven't yes. heard one note be played. Uh-oh. Well. Did you prepare something special for the listeners today? <laughs> I, I absolutely did, because I, I just love doing this, and it's fun for me, and it's a way to connect with audiences. But here, I'm going to give you the choice of what I played today. Okay, right? I'm ready. I'm going to give you the choice between the performance review song or the LinkedIn song? Oh, this is, this is a tough one, guys. Um, performance review or LinkedIn? My performance reviews always sucked. 
but I love LinkedIn as a way of networking. So let's do the LinkedIn song. How about okay. that? I'm ready for it. And by the way, you're, of course, you know, being the networking person that you are as well, you know, that LinkedIn is a great place when it's a great place mm -hmm. and when it's not, it's not, but you know, you could say that about any social media. So right. one of the things that I talk to people about in terms of unlocking and amplifying talent and potential is combining the things that are already there. And again, finding creative ways to look at things. So the LinkedIn song, I was literally looking at LinkedIn one day and I was getting all of these spammy sales messages. Oh, it was driving me crazy, but I said, you know what? Let's make this fun. Let's combine that with a song. And so for your listening entertainment on the This Shit Works podcast, <laughs> based on actual verbatims that I got in my inbox. Oh, this is, this is perfect. I picked the right one. I picked the right one. <laughs> Here it goes. Hey there, Rick. I'd love to connect. No, you don't know me. We've never met. But based on your profile, you seem to be someone who should be connecting with me. As a full-service investment firm, we are approached directly by middle market buyers actively looking for acquisition targets in your area. Are you open to a brief five to 10 minute call? Hey there, Rick, do you have some time? In just 20 minutes, I'm sure that you'll find our B2B solution cuts through the mess and directly enables your business success. I work for an investment firm and we just launched a new accelerator program that helps early stage companies get to the market better, faster, and cheaper. Let's talk. But you know, like, have you ever done that and suddenly that you don't respond and they get angry? Have you seen that before? Yes. It gets dark. <laughs> it goes, hey there, Rick, you have yet to reply. I'm following up as I'm curious why. Unlimited success, phenomenal fee. You really should be connecting with me. Don't you want to be successful? <laughs> no, here's the thing. Your approach is all wrong. Almost like something in a parody song. I'm not even remotely a fit. Did you look at my bio? Do you give a shit? You didn't even try to figure out who I am. This message is headed directly to spam. Hey, meeting planner. My name is Rick. I'm a dynamic speaker who might do the trick at your zoology convention in Orlando next fall. Would it make sense to jump on a call? I'd love to connect. The LinkedIn song. This oh shit works podcast. That was perfect because 
that shit is so annoying. So <laughs> annoying. I just had this conversation with someone yesterday. I was like, you cannot connect with someone. And then when they accept your LinkedIn connection, immediately start selling to them. No one yep. wants that. Yep. No one wants that. No. Oh my it's, God. It's, it's so it's true. Horrible. But yeah, so that's, and, and again, that's based completely on things that were in my inbox there. I was like, oh, come yeah. on, stop it. Yeah, I'll send you some of mine if you need some extra lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, more, more verses to it. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. Thank you. Well, maybe we'll have a follow-up conversation and we can do the performance evaluation song in a follow-up and a follow-up podcast. <laughs> I think that's a must. We, we should do that. Absolutely. By the way, uh, we'll have to see each other at a conference and talk about this over a glass of wine as well. Thank you enough. This was so much fun. Thank you, Julie. I've had a fantastic time. And thank you for, I love your sense of humor and the way you don't bullshit. You just come out with it. It's fantastic. And more of that is needed in the world. So thank you. Oh, I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no one's going to stop me anyway. So I'm just good. Good. Nope. No, I can't. I, I write my own performance reviews. There you go. <laughs> Wasn't Rick fun? Before I try to wrap up any of the things we learned from Rick, I want to go back and reiterate that I met Rick in a National Speakers Association Zoom networking event I attended last year. I didn't know anyone on the Zoom, but I approached that event as I approach all networking events, as an opportunity to meet an amazing person that I don't know yet. I'm not intimidated by events where I don't know anyone. I only see them as opportunities to discover new people to become friends with. I won't meet Rick in person until July when we both attend the NSA conference in Nashville, and I can't wait. We will have been friends for almost a year by that time. I know you can unlock and amplify your success through networking, but you have to bring your whole self to it, passions and all. It's why I created the List Yourself Approach. It's why I teach you to lead with who you are versus what do you do. For company leaders, are you taking the time to learn who your employees are? Are you asking the right questions to discover what makes their work hard or what they love about their work or what makes them happy? The corporate world is changing. And with it comes the ability to reduce the bureaucracy and amplify the humanity. After this interview, I got to researching how I would find a drink of the week that was boozy, but also had something to do with music. My Google search led me to a website that lists all the 100 best songs about beverages. I won't list them all, but I will highlight some. Clocking in at number two would be Red Red Wine by UB40. You know you love that song. Number 14, Whiskey Lullaby by Brad Paisley. 31, Cherry Wine by Nas featuring Amy Winehouse. Number 46, Two Pina Coladas by Garth Brooks. I love this song. It's on my Beachy Vibes Spotify playlist and I listen to it all the time. Number 89, Tequila Sunrise by The Eagles. And 94, Juice by Lizzo. I'll put a link to the entire list in the show notes. So for the drink of the week, I ended up picking a cocktail called Yellow Bird. There's very little known about its history. Some people think it was named after a Haitian song called The Yellow Bird, but others think it was named for the bright yellow Galliano liqueur, which rose to popularity in the 1960s and 70s, which is probably when this cocktail was invented. Here's what you're going to need. Two ounces of white rum, 
one ounce of Galliano liqueur, one ounce of triple sec or Cointreau. I usually do Cointreau. One ounce of fresh lime juice. And for the garnish, a lime slice and a maraschino cherry. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to place the rum, Galliano, triple sec and lime juice in a cocktail shaker. You're going to add two handfuls of ice and shake until cold and then strain into a cocktail glass. Garnish with a lime and a cherry if you feel like it. I probably would. Okay, folks, that's it for today. This was a good one, I think. Let me know what you think. If you like what you heard today, please review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share the podcast with your friends to help it reach a larger audience. And until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. This Shit Works.